Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you for uh, word in due season, that the words that go forth would not be mine, that they would be yours. And anything that is of me would fall to the ground and bear no fruit, but everything that is of you would pierce our hearts and be planted deeply and would continue to be watered and that you would bring forth the increase. God, I thank you for um, just the season that we find ourselves in. It's not always easy to go through difficult seasons, but I know that when we come out of them, that greater, greater will we be as a result of it. And so, Lord, I thank you for um, just refining. I thank you, God, that we get to suffer as Jesus suffered and that we get to um, bear his image and become more like who he is. And we thank you for that. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just give God a hand clap this morning. I, uh, we've been talking about the wild heart of God and how God pursues us. And, you know, we're supposed to draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. But I want to tell you this morning that oftentimes, though, God actually just pursues us. He's so in love with you that he will go out of his way to come and pursue you. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about Paul this morning, and if we could um, turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to do quite a bit of reading, so stay with me. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was such a persecutor of the church. He really believed that what he was doing was God's will. And so he went and he's like, look, can I get these letters so that I can have permission to go to the synagogues in Damascus? And so if I find anybody that's in the way, along the way, following the way, I'm going to get them. I will give, he will bring them before um, the Pharisees. And most likely death would happen. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly... A light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He answers, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul gets up from the ground, but he opened his eyes and he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. I just thought it was really interesting that he was actually had letters in his hand that he was gonna to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that he could literally go and devour any kind of Christian that was there. And now he's still going to Damascus, but the letters don't matter because now he can't even see. He is blinded. 
He's completely blinded. Sometimes we have to come to the place where we can no longer see so that we can actually see. How many times, how many times have you stood before God and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it felt like heaven was as brass? It's because God is saying right now, right now, even in the silence, God is speaking, but listen to what I'm saying. Sometimes you come to a place where you just cannot see and that's what God wants. He spent three days holding on to those letters that he now knows bears absolutely no power and he doesn't care about it all. So verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas, on Straight Street. I don't know why they think that's so funny. Could have been Crooked Street, but now it's Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. So though he couldn't see, he was seeing. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, can you imagine? Ananias is like, look, I'm one of those people that call upon your name. And I happen to know that he's got these letters. How that, you know what? Gossip gets around, doesn't it? Somebody says something, and then somebody else tells somebody else, and somebody else tells somebody else, and then before you know, anyway, I could go there. That's a whole other story. So here he has, he knows he has these letters. He knows that he's coming after them. And so, of course, he's like, wait a second. You want me to go there, and he has a vision of me? This is when you have to trust God. This is when you have to be obedient. As Christians, we're obedient to do what he tells us to do, even when we don't feel like it. Christianity looks like obedience. Sometimes, you know, it's like standing up here. Sometimes we don't really want to stand up here. We'd rather just be down there, laying on the floor in the presence of God and allowing him to minister to the depths of our heart. And yet God says what? Be obedient. I will give you the grace that you have need of because his mercies are new every day and his grace is sufficient for us. But the Lord said to Ananias, basically, can you imagine? He's like, look, don't fear. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I was reading this, and I really felt like the Lord was saying, look, he was one of the um, terrorists of the church. He was a terrorist. He was going in, killing Christians. He would have been there when Stephen was martyred, and he would have seen all of these Christians, and he thought he was actually doing the will of God. Terrorists really believe that they're doing the will of their God. What happens when actually God speaks to somebody like Saul, and he speaks to us to pray for someone like Saul, what if he actually says for us to say something to someone like Saul, and then he actually turns him around and uses him? 
in a mighty way, do you not think that that would turn the whole Christian world upside down and the world upside down if God actually raises somebody up that's completely different than you or I and shakes this whole world? for his glory and for his name's sake. That's exactly what he did. So Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And we hear, too, that immediately he went out and began to preach. The very person that he was persecuting, he was a persecutor of the church, now he became a preacher for the church. He had such a tender heart toward God. He wanted nothing more other than to serve him. His life Truly, he said, my life is not my own. He understood what it was like to just say, you know what? I've laid it all down. In Ephesians 1.17, he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because he had experienced what that was. He said, look, I want you to have the same wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. So that in not seeing, you may see. I pray that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of his heart were opened. That you can be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. For the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Something happened to Paul. Saul, Paul, Saul was his, what would have been his Hebrew name. He took on his Roman name. Paul, he was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. We're going to read about that. But he said, look, I have, I have encountered the living God, the one who, the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And I wish that you would encounter him the way that I encountered him. That you would really say, you know what, my life is not my own. I can lay it all aside. I can lay aside all offenses, all hurts, everything because of what he has done. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. You know, my heart is heavy. My heart is heavy for the, the things that I see in the church. When we have our swords against each other in the church. I can promise you that I, the person sitting next to you, the people in your home, are going to do something that you don't like. And every time that happens, we have an opportunity 
to do what Jesus did. Forgive. No one made you the judge, and no one made me the judge. He is the only one that gets to do that. And I believe that Paul had that revelation, which is why he said, may the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you would have that wisdom, that you would have that revelation. Love, not judgment, covers a multitude of sin. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. In other words, it's a safeguard for you, is what it says. To hear the things over and over and over and over again is not bad. It's actually a safeguard. We think, well, I've heard this how many times? No, you need to hear it over. I need to hear it over and over and over again. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. In other words, he's like, look, don't, don't go back to like the circumcision. Don't go back to keeping the religious laws. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him? He was, he, he sat under, at 13 years old, he began to be a learned man of the law. And now he's telling them, look, circumcision doesn't do it. Not in the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart is what does it. For if we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcise the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So you have to understand, he literally was like, his status was as high up as you possibly could get. And now he's saying, look, that means absolutely nothing. But whatever were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Literally rubbish. All those years of attaining, all those years of studying, all those years under Gamil, doing everything that he did, all the people that he killed, he thought on behalf of God. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own 
that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, and becoming like him even to death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to stop right there. He came to a place where the only thing that really mattered was to know Christ. I remember I, I told this story. Some of you have never heard it. But when I moved here in 2001, um, I was in the furniture business. I was very successful, made a lot of money, and had a beautiful home. And I, I just felt this call of God in my life to come to Grand Rapids. And so I, I met a group of, of leaders that were coming here to start a church. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit said I was supposed to go. It was during a season, 2001, the housing market was booming. And in order to actually get a closing, it was going to take weeks after you sold your house to even get a date for a closing. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, well, I want you to know your house will be sold and closed in 30 days. So I told my realtor, um, he was a Christian, I said, God told me that my house will be sold and closed in 30 days. He said, that's impossible. I said, well, I know, but with God, all things are possible. 30 days to the day, there was a, a U-Haul, whatever you want to call it, in my driveway, and I moved here. My family all thought I was crazy. But I was given like this gift of faith. I really believed that I just didn't care anymore. Like I felt like I was doing something. This is how you know when God's grace starts to lift and you need him to, to make a shift in your season. It's just not there anymore. And it just wasn't there anymore. Everything I loved doing, I used to travel the whole state of Illinois and I would go into all these furniture stores and sell furniture, sell accessories. I'd come in, I'd do vignettes for them, you know, design their stores, help them pick out what they needed to pick out. I absolutely loved it. And then one day it was like, Ugh, I don't like this at all. It feels worldly. It feels like this. And it, what, it, I wasn't. It just something happened. I just no longer found any joy in it. And I'm telling you that I was so successful that my fax machine would go off. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I'd get order after order after order just coming in. I didn't even have to leave the house because I had worked hard enough to build up the territory where people were just placing orders. And so to everybody around me, it would seem crazy to leave that and to move here. And I had no job. All I had was my savings. But I counted it all as rubbish. My family thought I'm totally losing my mind. But I knew that I knew that I knew. And I was here for six months before that, that church ever started. And I kept saying, um, I, I came here, nobody's like, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. I went through all of my savings except for $5,000. I had nothing else to live on. I, why, why didn't you get a job? I really believed that God told me to set aside my time to pray, to worship, and to study his word. And that's all I did. I'm not exaggerating. My son can tell you. When he would come over, he would see me. I would be in my office all the time, 
studying, studying, studying. I would be in worshiping. He would come in the door from outside. I'd be there in the middle of the room worshiping and, he, and, I, and loud, doing what I'm doing. He'd walk right back outside, close the door. Why? Because I counted everything else as rubbish. You guys, you come to a place, guys, when you actually hear God's voice and there's a revelation, the eyes of your heart is enlightened. You know the hope of his calling. You see the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. And let me tell you, from that 2001 to this day, I would have never, ever, ever, ever done it had I known everything I would experience. It's true. But Paul has a secret. Not that I have already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet having taken hold of it, but there's one thing I do in this scripture got me through some of the toughest times of my life, forgetting which is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He forgot. That word forget literally means to neglect the thought of it. Can you imagine that now he's walking with these Christians? He's preaching to Gentiles when he would rather have been called to the Jews. But you know what? Your passion isn't it always your call. I hate to knock some of your socks off, but it's true. Sometimes you're called to do something you're not even passionate about, but then God does something in your heart. And you literally will sacrifice yourself, your desires, your needs. You say, well, God gives you the desires of your heart, not your desires. He gives you his desires, and they will become your desires. Do you think scrubbing toilets is something I wanted to do? When you start a church, you're scrubbing toilets. I was running the sound. I was preaching. I was cleaning up afterwards. It was everything. You did it all. And then people come in, they don't realize, they're, they're, they don't understand there's a price that you pay. And the one moment you ask people to come into alignment and into, a, in, into uh, come on. The North American church has become entitled. And what we want to do is what we want to do. Submission to authority is out the door. Why? Because that's just control and manipulation. No, not if they're telling you to do what the word of God says. That's actually stewarding you, looking out for your heart and your soul. I've been to Africa. I've been to Guatemala how many times? And I can tell you something. People understand how to honor And there's something that happens when there's honor. People are like, how come we don't see all these signs, wonders, and miracles? Because there's a lack of honor. Jesus did mighty things except for in his own hometown because people did not honor. Familiarity will breed contempt. Well, he's just a carpenter's boy. We know him. I knew him when he was little. 
Remember how many times he would fall? Skin up his knees? Remember how he would run around and do this and that, whatever? Come on. I'm sure he got spanked by his mother. Probably went to a friend's house and did things he wasn't supposed to do without sin. So I knew that little kid. You're telling me now he's the Messiah? How is that possible? I believe that there's gold in each and every one of you and that you are going to do mighty, miraculous things for God. Why? Because no, no man after the flesh. When we think about God's love, it doesn't always look the way that we think it's going to. God loved Abraham. He told Abraham, I'm going to give you this son. Told Sarah, I'm going to give you this son. How many of you had a promise and you're still waiting for the fulfillment of it? 25 years before his son came. God's love looks different than yours and mine. Moses, he knew the ways of God. He understood not just his works, but his ways. The Israelites cry out for a deliverer, and God does what? Sends Moses. Moses delivers the people out of Egypt and is left with these murmuring, complaining people the whole entire time. The only time they didn't is when they got what they wanted. But when they didn't get what they wanted, they wanted to turn back to that which they knew, that which was familiar, the very thing that they said, God, please deliver us from this. How many of us do that? We cry out to God to deliver us, give us something more. And then we ask him to deliver us from the more that he just gave us because it looked a little different than we thought it was going to. I don't know if you practice that wild heart at all. One thing about this is your church, <laughs> your pastor, is that I just can't fake it. I'm not fake. I'm heavy. I'm hurt. And I'm giving it to God every day. For me, it's not one and done. So I think about Paul. I think about running into the wild heart of God. 
and saying, God, I forget about those things which are behind. I reach forward to those things which lie ahead, things that I don't know yet, but he knows. He wrote them in my book. He wrote them in your book. Some of you are in a place right now where you're at a crossroads and you don't know, should I go right or should I go left? And he says, yes. I just don't think he's like that. I think the religion says, if you go right and you were supposed to go left, you've missed God. Well, you know what? He knows where you are. forsake you and he'll show you he will direct you he loves you some of you just need to forget the things which are behind and forgive find the freedom and forgiveness
to Damascus what he meant for destruction you turned it around and made something good out of it you saved his soul you left the 99 righteous to pursue the one who wasn't and as a result the church grew mightily because when people heard that Saul had become Paul and was preaching the gospel, people scattered. And as the result of people scattering, your church increased. And it went into regions it would have never gone had that not happened. We don't always know what you're doing. But one thing is true. No matter how devastating something may look in life right now, you promise to turn it around and make something good out of it to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Saul was called according to your purpose. He was an instrument that you were going to use in your hands, and you're still using him today. So may we have the courage to forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. And though some of us find ourselves at a crossroads, you're just saying yes. Yes and yes. In Jesus' name, amen.